getting a lot of names here. He may have a great reputation for various types of activities. Nonetheless, he has a friend whom he does not know. Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? He's got a friend and he doesn't know who his friend is. Materialistic persons do not understand that God is present as a super soul who is situated in the heart of every living entity. Although the Paramatma sits beside the Jivatma as a friend, the Jivatma of the living entity does not know it. Consequently, he is described as Abhigyata Saka. Meaning one who has an unknown friend. The word Abhigyata Cheshtitaha is also significant because a living entity works under hard, works hard under the direction of the Paramatma and is carried away by the laws of nature. Nonetheless, he thinks himself independent of God and independent of the stringent laws of material nature. It is stated in Bhagavad Gita 2.24 Achetyoyam Adhayoyam Akledyor Shoshe Ericha Nitya Savakatastanu Achaloyam Sanatana The individual soul is unbreakable and insoluble. What does insoluble mean? Insoluble. Doesn't dissolve. The soul can't dissolve. Unbreakable, and it can neither be burned nor dried. He is everlasting, all pervading, unchangeable, immovable, and eternally the same. <coughs> Living entity is Sanatana, eternal, because he cannot be killed by any weapon, burnt by, into ashes by fire, soaked or moistened by water, nor dried, dried up by the air. He is considered to be immune to material reactions. Although he is changing bodies, he is not affected by the two conditions. He is placed under the two conditions and he acts according to the directions of his friend. Who is his friend? Paramatma, the super soul. But he doesn't know his super soul. He's a friend, but he doesn't know his friend. Abhigyata Sakha. I stated in Bhagavad Gita 1515, I am seated in everyone's heart, and from me come remembrance, knowledge, and forgetfulness. Thus the Lord of Paramatma is situated in everyone's heart, and he gives directions to the living entity to act in whatever way the living entity desires. In this life and in his previous lives, the living entity does not know that the Lord is giving him a chance to fulfill all kinds of desires. No one can fulfill any desire without the sanction of the Lord. All the facilities given by the Lord are unknown to the conditioned soul. My dear king, once in the past lived a king named Puranjana, who was celebrated for his great activities. He had a friend named Abhigyata, the unknown one. No one could understand the activities of Abhigyata.
Srila Vyasadeva is the literary incarnation of Krishna, of God. God appears in the material world then as an author. We all have our favorite authors in the material world, and there's been very many, many famous authors and directors who have written great poetry and dramas and who have written great songs. But Krishna came and he established the ultimate, the, the paragon, the standard, the ultimate standard, the gold standard of literature. And that is, as he, he did that as his own, as an author, as Shri as a writer, as a compiler. He compiled the Vedas, but he wrote in many different styles. Technically, we call them genres. He wrote in, in, in many types of... In the Srimad Bhagavatam, we, we will see and we read and hear, as we hear Srimad Bhagavatam, we hear, we hear narrative, a lot of narrative. We hear a lot of description, an amazing description. And in Sanskrit language, the, the, the description is embellished by Alankara. By ornaments. The ornaments that should have yesterday employs in the Srimad Bhagavatam and Mahabharatam are the same ornaments that we try to use in our literary writing today. If you go to a, a writing class by Bharajan Prabhu, he used to give writing classes in the 90s. I don't think he'll give them now, but you can get them from the VAAT. You can download his old writing classes. And they're very, very Excellent, amazing classes, of course. And in those classes, you will teach all the different devices, literary devices that we have to make up, to embellish the writing, to make the, the writing attractive, so that the reader will feel obliged or will feel inclined to turn the next page. They won't want to put the book down. They'll stay up until it's finished because it's written in such a way, it's a captivating way. It's written in such a way that's very attractive. And that's because we use metaphor, and we use analogy, and we use simile, and we use allegory. And this story today is written of this story that we're going to hear for the next so many months, in the next five chapters of Srimad Bhagavatam, is a very elaborate allegory. And this, in this allegory, an allegory is, is a literary device that, that describes one thing to indicate another thing. It might be a place or a concept, a moral concept, a religious principle. But so we're describing one thing. And here, Narada Muni is very expertly employing this technique to preach to Prachini Bahishat. Because he doesn't want to directly tell him that he's a sense gratifier. Because he won't feel good. Like if you tell your friend at school, you're a Parenjana. You won't feel good. Don't go to school and say that. But if you say you're a Raja, you'll feel like, oh, good. he's a nice friend. He called me Raja. He's a good friend. I like him the best. So Narada Muni uses a similar technique. And we hear, we see that technique in Chaitanya Chaitanya displayed many times. But Chaitanya uses a technique of developing rapport with the people that he's uh, preaching to, the people that he's trying to inspire in Krishna consciousness. Particularly we saw that in, in Varanasi, when he was in Kashi, in Banaras. The only city in the world that's got three names, officially three names. So, um, when Lord Chaitanya was in, in Varanasi, um, more than 500 years ago, he, he was preaching to Mayavadis and Yasis in, in Varanasi. And there, he used the technique of, of flattering, and he uses many times, of flattering them. And because of his humility and because of his expertise as a, as a the Supreme Personality Godhead himself, in logic, in Taka, in Nyaya, and, and in the Shastra, he was able to convince them. But he convinced them not by telling them that they were useless guys and that they didn't know anything and that they're all stupid Mayavadis. But he convinced them by first through his approach, through his humility. 
Amanitva Madanvikam. First of all, he, he sat in the, the dirty place where he washed the feet. And because of his effulgence, they were, they were like, why are you sitting there in such a dirty place? His effulgence lit the whole room. And I asked him to come and sit properly on the, on the elevator platform. And he went there. And because he approached them in a humble way, he developed, first of all, he developed that rapport, that they became inclined to listen to what he's got to say. This person looks amazing, and he's not coming in here with his chest out and a big puffed up guy. He's coming very humbly, and we'll listen to him. So now Muni is employing this technique with Prachinibhagasha. He's telling a story about another story. And in modern days, we have um, many psychological therapies, psychology therapies, are based around this concept, this principle logotherapy, many, many different therapies, where you say one thing to indicate another thing. So you're not being direct, but the person is subconsciously, they're internalizing the message, and that message becomes implanted in the consciousness. So the first thing that Prabhupada mentions here is he does um, logically presents definition. Can someone get up and gets the definition. And the first definition that he's giving is Pudanjana. We already discussed that. And this Pudanjana is somebody who is a karmakandi who is interested in sense gratification. Sense gratified. Sense gratified or materialist. Materialistic person. And the person who is a materialist, he can't see Krishna. He's a Bhagavad He's, because he's so enamored by bhoga and aishvarya, by enjoyment and material opulence, there, this is a block for seeing Krishna. This is, this, is one of, this is a hindrance. Because whereas we're turning away from Krishna and we're trying to enjoy our material senses, Hiranyakashipu, Prabhupada mentions Hiranyakashipu as one of these Brihatshravas, um, had great activities yeah, in the past. And his great activities were about himself. They weren't for other people, they weren't for, for Krishna, for God. They were so he could establish his supremacy, his position as an Ishvadaham, as a great enjoyer, as a great controller, as the Raja, exploiter, as Prabhupada mentions here, exploiting the his, his facilities that have been given by God, he exploits them. And that is a, a materialist. And when Bali Maharaj was, when, when Lord Bhamanadeh appeared in the sacrificial arena of Bali Maharaj, Bali Maharaj glorified Bhamana. And Shukachai didn't mind to hear this glorification. He, was, he, he wanted that Bali Maharaj wouldn't give him an inch. He shouldn't give anything to this person who's come into the arena because he's a cheater. He's going to take everything. You give him an inch and he'll take the whole, the whole part. So, after Bali Maharaj offered everything, was prepared to offer everything to Krishna, Lord Vamana, to, Lord Vamana to the dwarf Brahmana, Lord Vamana was very pleased with him and he spoke. And he, he's first, the first thing he said, he, he spoke to him that never in his dynasty has one of these great kings not given charity to a Brahmana. They've never forgotten to give charity. They've never reneged on charity. They've never said, I'll give something and taken it back. Never, no one in their dynasty. And this is a dynasty of Palatmaraj. So nobody in his dynasty, his grandfather, never did this. And Vidochana never did this. And his previous forefathers, they never did that. They never reneged on charity. And they never didn't offer a fight to Akshatriya. If Akshatriya came and offered a fight, they never said, no, I'm not going to fight. They never ran away. They, they didn't do like that. So he's fully expecting that Balimaj will, will fulfill his promise to give whatever he's asked for. And he, he enjoys he, he He recognizes and acknowledges that. Lord Vamana to Bali. Right. And then he says to Bali Maharaj, it tells him the story of your own lecture. And Varaha. When the Lord appeared as Varaha. And he appears as Varaha to save the earth from the Gabadak and to 
to kill, to fight with your injection. And he has a very big fight with him. He describes the fight. Lord um, Bhamana says, they had such a fight, like a fight he'd never experienced before, he said. Lord Vishnu had fight, fought with this um, Hiranyaksha. And finally he killed him, Hiranyaksha, and he was very satisfied. And after he killed him, his brother, Hiranyakashipu, became very angry at Lord Vishnu. And he went straight to Lord Vishnu's abode. He's so powerful, Hiranyakashipu, he could go to Vaikuntha. He went to the abode of, 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 at least to the abode of Lord Vishnu, let's say. So he went to the abode of Lord Vishnu and he searched everywhere, but Vishnu was hiding from him. And you know where Vishnu was hiding from him? Vishnu saw that Hiranyakashipu was coming in very angry, like he's super mad, and he wants to kill him, and he wants to cause a lot of problems. So he, he, he hid in a very, very special place, very clever place, in his heart. Mm-hmm. He went in his nostril, and he's hiding in the heart of Hiranyakashipu. Because Hiranyakashipu is a, he's a, a Pudanjana. Prabhupada said here, he's a Pudanjana. Pudanjana will never look in the heart. He's looking outside. So Krishna is safe in there. He's safe, hiding there, he'll never find him. Impossible. He can't find him. He's a materialist. So this is the, the, the condition of a materialist. That they're, because they're always Vahimukha, they're always looking outside, then they can't connect with and recognize and acknowledge that their activities, that their facilities are provided for by Supersoul, Paramatma, Krishna. Arjuna, in the, in the Gita, he says to Krishna, how, how, can you give, how did you explain this science to Vivashvan? Vivashvan is so old. He's been living a long time. You just came here now. You've been here for the last 80 years, 100 years ago. How can you say you gave this knowledge to Vivashvan? And then Krishna explained that he gave many, many, many births. He said, And he can remember all of his births, but Arjuna can't remember them. He forgets them. But we have had many births, millions of them. We've been wandering in many, 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 many millions of universes. We can't remember them. But Paramatma, who accompanied us the whole way, our Adhigyata Saka, he remembers everything. That unknown friend in the heart, he remembers everything and he inspires us to act in a way that we cultivated that desire, that's such a desire, to act in that way. So we've got a particular type of a body, a particular type of a mind, a particular set of senses, a particular intelligence to fulfill our <laughs> desires, our karmas. And Paramatma is the one who is reminding us about that. Because he, is, he knows past, present, and future. He knows everything we did. We forgot everything. At the time of death, Prabhupada said, that's forgetfulness. Forget. That's over that chapter. And then it's the next chapter. It's the next body. And the next body. So, um, there is many practical examples of the presence of, or the influence of Paramatma on the jiva, on the living entity. So some people say, you know, Paramatma is very much a prominent feature of the Vedic philosophy, of the Vedic understanding of spirituality, Paramatma. But it's quite weak in other systems, you can say. It's quite, quite, um, it's not really developed. There's some sense of it there, and Prabhupada recognized that sometimes in some Catholic doctrine, some Francis of Assisi or whatever, that it's not very prominent and it's not very consistent or comprehensively developed. But in Bhagavatam, in, like in the Gita and the Veda, it's very prominent. It's, it's a very key feature. It's cornerstone, you can say. It's that the living entity and, and Paramatma are together through their sojourn in the material world. They stay together. Paramatma is an incarnation of Krishna in the heart. So they're together. There are, there are some living entities that they do amazing things if you observe in nature. 
some birds and some fish and some different animals. And if you analyze what they do, it, they can't be some, it can't be just a mechanistic response to their, to their instinct or to their senses. Impossible. Can't be, if we analyze it. We lived in New Zealand for many years, in Auckland. And just outside of, we live northwest of the city. And very close to, New Zealand is a very unique country because it's a small country. And the North Island, if you go 20 minutes either side, you'll be on the coast, pretty much. Half an hour either side of Auckland, you're on the coast. So it's surrounded by water. I mean, Australia's surrounded by water, but if you go five hours either side, you might, if you, if you're in Darwin, you might not get anywhere. Um, or in Alice Springs. But in Auckland, it's different. So there we were living in the northwest of the city, just outside of the city. And we had a, a beach, one of our beaches, it was a black sand beach, Mirawai. It's a famous beach there. And in the black sand beach, the, the, the sand became black from the volcanoes. The whole of Auckland is a volcano. So the, on the black sand beach, there is huge cliffs and rock, rock face. And there are many, there's a beautiful big surf beach there. But it's very, very rugged terrain. It's exposed to the, to the elements, to the wind and to the, to the, to the water, to the surf, to the storms. It's very, very rugged terrain. And so there, as a, there's a bird there called a gannet. Have you heard of a gannet? No? It's like a very big-sized um, seagull, massive bird. Much, much bigger than a seagull. It's white. And they nest there on the side of this cliff. And the cliff is howling wind and these little baby gannets, when they're born, they have they call them a nest, but it's all it's just on the side, it's just a rock. It's not a rock face. It's not like they build a nice nest with cozy grass and cotton and all different twigs and things that they find like a nest in a tree that we have here. They just nest on the rock. They're in the rock. And there's thousands of them nesting on these rock. Or at least hundreds and hundreds of them nesting on these rocks on the cliff face. And they learn to fly by just jumping off. It's very high. And they just jump off the cliff in the wind, the, the gushes of wind, they take the birds up into the sky. So they, that's how they learn to fly. They just fall off the rock, and the wind takes them, and they, they learn to use their, up their, their wings, and they become you know, expert aerobics. Um, aeronautical engineers. And um, so that for 13 weeks they do that. After, nesting, after being born, they, for 13 weeks they learn how to fly. And then the whole crew, all of the babies, not the parents, the mothers and the fathers, stay back at Mirawai in Auckland because they want to see the devotees. The devotees go and feed them. They want to stay there for the prasad. And the babies, they go. The babies leave Mirawai, all of them together. Not one of them has made a trip outside of this little location where the, the, the rocks are. And then they fly across to Australia. They come to Melbourne and Sydney. And they stay here for two or three years. That's their maiden journey. Their maiden journey is from Mirawai to Bondi. Straight to Sydney. From Mirawai to Sydney without a stop. Express. No stopping. And they, no one's been there before, but they get exactly to the right place. They go from their location in Uruguay exactly to Bondi, the same place every year. A whole new batch of gamuts get there. And then they stay there for a few years and they grow up. This is when they, like, they leave Uruguay when they're teenagers. They're 13. They leave when they're 13 and they go away and they become adults, big, big birds. And then they fly back exactly to the nest where they were born. They find there's millions of them on this nest, on this cliff face. Not millions, but lots of them on this cliff face, and they fly exactly to the nest where they were born after a few years, come back, and then they nest and their babies go. So this keeps happening. And there are many examples like this. That is not, you can't explain that, but that their institute took them to Bondi, every one of them, every time. Every generation goes to Bondi. Every generation goes. Impossible. So the super soul is reminded, you're a gannet, you belong in Bondi. Get out of Mirawai and go back there when you want to have a children. So that's how it happens. Same with these salmon, these, these fish, they swim upstream. You know the salmon, they, go, they swim upstream back to have their children. So they swim 6,000 miles 
I especially people was telling us about these salmon, the, the Californian salmon, and probably the salmon here, I don't know. But anyway, this Californian salmon, they swim from their, the river, they're born in a the river, they swim out of the river, downstream, into the ocean, for 6,000 kilometers, 6,000 miles, right? from here to India or something like that. They swim. And then back, 6,000, after many, many years, not two years, after a long life of a fish. And after 10 years, something like that, they come back to the river, they swim upstream. This is the only fish that can swim up the stream. These fish go that way, downstream. This fish goes upstream and goes all the way back up to where it was born, to exactly the same place where it was born. Because it won't procreate until it gets to that same location. And that's how those species can use. So this, there's many, many examples in nature that tell us that there must be something more than this instinct, and there must be something more than mechanistic science. There must be a creator behind this. There must be an intelligence that's working behind this. It's something greater than us. And the empathy. So this, um, in the and one of the another, we talked about some of the the literary alankaras that Shiva Yasudev is utilizing in the Shimon Bhagavatam. And one of them, he uses a combination of allegory and metaphor and simile in one sloka where in the 10th canto of Bhagavatam, the demigods are offering their prayers to um, Devaki in the womb, the Gavastuti. And there he describes in great detail this Dvikhaga Dadi Vrikshara. It is two birds who are sitting on the original tree. Ekaya Noso, Dvipada, Trimulas. And this original tree has two, two consequences. That is, the, one of them is happiness and one of them is distress. Two of them. And it's deeply rooted, Trimulas, with the three modes of material nature. And on this tree, there's four tastes, Chaturasa. Four tastes are economic development, Dhamma, Atta, Kama, and Moksha. They're the four tastes of this, this original tree that we, that we are occupying. And there are, are five types of, of ways that we acquire knowledge, five senses. So there's Chaturasa, Panchabhita, Shatakma, there's six, six different types of circumstances that the living entity engages in and experiences. And the tree has seven types of bark, saptatvak, the seven coverings of the tree. That's like the blood and the, the, the skin, the blood, the, the you know, muscle, and the semen, and, and pus, the, the, the seven layers on the skin. And then there are Eight types of the uh, eight elements, Bhumi, the eight separated elements of Krishna, make up this tree. And there are nine holes of the tree. There's nine different types of holes: the eyes, and nostrils, and mouth, and ears, and the genitals. And there are ten. There's ten leaves on the tree. Dashachadi, Dashachadi, Dukaga, Yadivrikshaha. The ten leaves represent the ten life heirs of living entity. And there's two birds in this tree. Dvikaga. Prabhupada says, in the purple, Prabhupada explains, it defines a kaga. Kaga has another name for a bird in Sanskrit. Because ga means to go, right? Gachati means to go. And ka means the sky. So one who goes in the sky is Kaga, the bird. So Prabhupada said, these three Kaga, these two birds in the tree of this um, body, the Adi Pliksha, the original tree, um, one is living entity, other Paramatma. Same message that we're hearing here by, in another allegory here in the um, fourth canto of Bhagavatam. So this Abhigyaswatsaka, this unknown friend, is someone we need to get to know. And that's someone that, that we are getting to know. The Parampara, Shri Prabhupada, the 
Um, the devotees are introducing us to this unknown friend, and we're starting to become relieved of the suffering, the, the two consequences of being in the tree, the picture duesha, the, 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 the duality, happiness and distress. When we start to know who is the Abhigya Saka, our friend, we become transcendental to that. And we become inclined through the process of bhakti. The process of bhakti is, is a purification process, purification process, to, to peel back these layers, the seven layers, and to peel back the elements that are covering us, to, peel, to become free from the modes that are keeping the tree deeply rooted in the material existence of Puranjana. Right? that keep us here, condition us to become, to, to perpetuate our Puranjana mentality. But the bhakti process is enabling us to uproot that deep-rooted desire, that deep-rooted tree, and to turn our consciousness from Puranjana to Krishna, to our Abhigyasaka, that Surit Naha. Krishna is the by hearing about Krishna, his 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 lip that Srimata Svakata Krishna Punya Shravana Kitanam, the Yantistoya Bhadarani Vidunati Suritsatam. His his that friend in the heart, that Adigyas that Adigyasaka, he wants to cleanse the heart for us. He wants to go to work, he wants to assist, he wants to help us cleanse the heart. But we have to make a decision, we have to make a choice. We have the freedom. Living empathy has a freedom to choose. Arjuna had the freedom. Krishna gave him the freedom. You choose. Now I've said you choose. So we have the same choice to make. If we make the right choice, then we, we get to know that friend. Sakabha, Surit, Surit Satam, the friend of the devotees. By, by engaging in activities that will help us to become free from this original tree of material existence. Lord Balaram, you know, when, when Krishna, when the Lord Rama took all the cowherd boys and the calves away from Krishna, and he came back, and Lord Krishna said, Krishna was momentarily bewildered. But he knew, because he's, the, he's, the, he's in the heart of all living entities, he knew it was the work of Rama. But because of the yoga maya, lila, shakti of the Lord, he wanted to act like he was a bit confused, a bit bewildered. Then he realized this is Brahma, Lord Brahma, and no one else could do this. Because Brahma had come to see what happened with Agasura. Brahma was amazed. Brahma was offering prayers. He was offering flowers to Krishna. Good job. How you did that with Agasura, I don't know how you did it, but it was amazing. And he was so happy with Krishna. And then he said, I'm going to test this Krishna further. He's a little coward boy. He doesn't have my Shakti. Krishna, Lord Brahma creates the universe. I don't know if this boy in Vrindavan with the, the yogurt in his left hand and he can't make a universe like me. I can make a universe. So he went down to, to test Krishna's Shakti. So then Krishna really tried testing him out and put him into a big illusion, Lord Rama, to, to illustrate or to demonstrate that Krishna is the supreme Adi Purusham Tamahambajan. We worship Krishna because there's no one like Krishna. He's Shakti. He expanded himself in as every calf and as every coward boy, exactly like they were, exact replicas. They weren't all just Krishnas. They weren't just like forearm forms of Krishna or Vishnu. Not like that at all. Exactly how the mothers had dressed them with the same flute, the same stick, the same everything they had the same. There wasn't any difference. Fingerprints, everything. <laughs> everything was exactly new. Exactly individual, right? identical. Every calf had exactly the same hair, the same bristle, the same spots, the same hoof, everything the same. The same horns coming out, everything identical. Not one thing was different. So that was Krishna. Only Krishna can do that, prophecy. No one else can do that. Only Krishna can live Govardhan, only Krishna can expand himself into the cows and the cow apples. Exactly. Identically. So for one whole year after Agasura, they went back and everybody, the boys enjoying, the mothers enjoying. But something strange happened in Vrindavan. For one year, 
And nobody knew what was going on, not even Lord Balaram. Mm-hmm. Eh? He didn't know. He was under the Yoga Maya Shakti also. But then he thought, what's going on here? He saw the cows. When the, when the big cows ran down Govardhan Hill to feed the calves, and the cowherdmen couldn't control them, and the boys were down the bottom, so the cowherdmen were very angry. They were thinking, the boys must think we're not very good cowherders. The cows got away from us, and now they're, drink, they're feeding their babies down the bottom of the car, and they're not even their new babies. They're the old cows. They've had another lot of calves since then. Those cows are getting older now. They're growing. But they're feeding those ones. They don't feed those ones. They feed the new baby calf. So how is it that they're feeding these old calves? That's when Bhagavan kicked. Come on, something's going on here. I know these calves. And they're not the new calves. So what's happening? He said that, Apurvam prema varita, varate. That something strange is happening. They're feeling more love. The Brajabasis, Brajasya, and me, Satmana, Tokeshu. All the Brajabasis and even me are feeling more love for this, for our friends and our babies and our calves. Something is quite strange here. So he, he says, What is this wonderful thing that's happening? I know that, some, that Krishna's got something. He, he knows what's happening. What is it? Kimeta, Arbhutam. What is Arbhutam? You know? Means Arbhuta Shringam. Something wonderful. What is this wonderful thing that is happening? That Krishna is doing something very, very unique here. Something, something that only Krishna can do. Something very special. What is it? So he asked Krishna, what's going on? Why is it? Why? Why do the cowherders and the gopas and the gopis? Why are they loving their children more now? They used to love Krishna more and their children, but they didn't say anything. But now they're loving their children exactly like that. They used to love Krishna, apurvam, prema, Bharati. Like before, they used to love. Now they're doing that to their own children and their cows. Something. So he was. He revealed. He called him the the akilatma. Vasudeva Akilatmani. That Vasudeva, this Krishna who is a super soul in the heart, he's done something here. He's Akilatmani. He's, 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 he's changing himself. And it was revealed. Krishna revealed. This was Prabhupada said it was four or five days before the end of the whole year. Four or five days just before he revealed. To Balaram, not to anyone else. So Balaram could understand what was, what was happening. So, that is the process. Our, our process is that we want to see Krishna. We want to see that Vasudeva Kilatmanya, who's in the heart of living entities, do these wonderful activities, perform these wonderful and understand Krishna's hand in everything. That we see Krishna as Paramatma, he's inspiring, he's, he's, he's directing, he's witnessing everything that we do, and acknowledging that, that Krishna is witnessing and inspiring and directing everything that we do. We, we reconnect with Krishna. We, we re-establish our relationship with Krishna. Sambandha, through the Abhideya, through the process, through the Bhakti. And we achieve that, the ultimate goal of Bhakti. That is to be connected with Krishna. So we, we're no longer Puranjanas. We, we, become, we become pure purified of our Puranjana mentality. We uproot the three modes of material nature that are, that are holding and binding us to the material world. We're no longer attracted to the four rasas. This is a prema The devotee is going for a higher rasa, for a higher test, to love Krishna. We're no longer conditioned by or influenced by the six different circumstances in our life of birth and death of lamentation, of hankering, of hunger and thirst. For the devotee, these things are not significant. They don't happen, they don't influence. That's something that the Prudship Maharaj recognized. That before, when he was hearing Bhagavatam, he didn't have, a, he didn't have any thirst or hunger. 
when we was hearing from Shukadeva Goswami, he said previously he got thirsty and he went into the ashram of the Muni and he didn't get any water, he was thirsty and therefore he, he, he cursed his, he was cursed previously. But now, I don't have any thirst, no hunger, because I'm hearing the, hearing the kata of Krishna. That's where we want to get to. We want to become free from these coverings. The ten, the ten life heirs and the nines. We want to, these are materialistic, these are, these are binding living entity. We want to get there. And that place is a place where, where we see Krishna face to face, Prabhupada says. Like, that's a place where we will curse the, the creator of the universe for giving eyelids. That will curse Lord Brahma. Why did you give eyelids? Now I can't see Krishna. I, I, blinked, I blinked and I didn't see him for that long. So long I didn't see Krishna. And the, the description that they give in that verse, of, um, it's in the end of the ninth canto, right? Just before the tenth canto. And Sukadeva Swami is preparing us and prepping us for something to come. It's like a trailer. You know, in the movies, they put out the trailer. He gives this trailer. And, and this trailer, he gives a very beautiful description of Krishna. Brajat Kapola, Subhilasa Subhaka Hassan. But Krishna has got a he's very effulgent, resplendent Kapola, cheeks. And he's always got a beautiful smile on his face, Krishna. Subhaka Hassan. He's always smiling and he looks very, very gorgeous, this Krishna. And that, that Krishna, he's got the Makara Kundala, he's the Shaksha earrings, and Chadukarna, beautiful ears. Every aspect of Krishna is, is, is very um, attractive and sensational. And with this um, description, it says that it's a festival. For, for the for the gopas and the gopas of Vrindavan, for the Brajabhasis, for the devotees, Krishna is a festival for the eyes. Nityotsava, it's a festival, non-stop festival. Isn't it? They, they can't take the eyes of Krishna for a moment. They drink the nectar through their eyes. It's a it's a utsava. Nityotsava. Shamam Bhagavad, when the wives of the proud Vedic Brahmanas saw Krishna in, in, the, in the groves of Vrindavan, they saw him standing there looking so attractive. Shamam Hidanya Padidimbanamalya He is looking like a, a, a monsoon cloud, his color, his skin. And he's wearing a beautiful gold dhoti cloth. And he's got a peacock feather with on the top. He's got a peacock feather in his hair, right. in his turban, and he's standing there very nonchalantly with a hand on his friend. He's standing like this, Krishna. And he's, with his hand he's waving the lotus flower, and the, the, the wives, they've never seen Krishna. The first time they saw Krishna, standing like this, he looked like, he said he looked like a dramatic actor on the stage. He looks like a, an, an actor. He's dressed up with all these beautiful decorations and ornaments and he's, he's standing there. This looks like something out of, a, out of a movie. How did he get there like this? It looks incredible. So, so that's, the, that's the goal, Prayojana, is to get to see Krishna and to curse Lord Brahma that we can't see him enough. And we only get there by the process of bhakti, to turn away from our parental mentality, to engage in the service of the Lord, and to, to reap the benefits of that in our bhakti. Are there any questions or comments? about how um, Krishna's in the heart and we're in the 
were covered with ego and pride and all the anathas, so we're not able to listen to Krishna's intelligence. So how do we get there? And also another thing is sometimes do we think, is this intelligence coming from the mind or is it coming from Krishna? I can't decide. So is it just sharpening of this chant and do we get sharpening intelligence? So just to repeat for those who can't hear, not that you can't hear, but people who can't hear outside, um, that how do we sh- how do we connect with that um, with the super soul? Because we're so covered over by so many layers of ahankara, false ego, and materialistic intelligence, covered intelligence. So how do we um, connect with that? Is it just through sharpening the intelligence through chanting? Right, through chanting and through this process. Um, I'm glad that point came up first off because we need to really focus on on the process. And I tried to, um, I alluded to the process, but not details of the process. And the, the process begins with and finishes with chanting, japa. And when we chant japa carefully with attention, we start to connect with Krishna. And then we pray for thousands of years and thousands of times and Krishna will dance in the court out of the heart. Like, like Rupa Goswami is praying. But to, to get there, to get to that position, we need to apply ourselves. It's not something that, you know, we say it's automatic. We say automatically you'll get all the qualities of the suras, of the asuras. We'll get automatically get the qualities of the demigods. And we do bhakti. But automatically means you have to do work. That's the small print. You know, we think, oh, this is a really cool process, it's automatic. But then you read between the lines, and actually there's a lot of hard work. To get it into autopilot, it has to do hard work. You have to really know what, what's going on there. And you have to prove yourself to Krishna, prove yourself to the spiritual master. And we do that by sadhana. The things we do, perfection comes from the things you do every day. Right? And we just keep we're, we're wearing away at it like this. We just keep um, non-stop application, relentlessly applying ourselves to the process, whether we like it or not, whether we're feeling happy or we're feeling sad. Whether we had a, a good day at work or a bad day at work, whether we had a, an argument or didn't have whatever it is, we still do the bhakti, we still do the chanting. And the chanting, we should do chanting as much as we can in one, one stretch. There's a, few, there's a few tricks and tips in chanting Hare Krishna that you can pick up from many, many devotees for the last two decades have been. Um, presenting Japa retreats and Japa workshops. And they're all over the internet, thank God. They're all over the internet. So we have access to some amazing resources to help us to improve our Japa. Mahatma Prabhu and Giritari Swami and Gurujan Prabhu and Satyananda Swami. And you, the list goes on and on and on. Of very exalted devotees who have been doing Japa for 50 plus years, and we started to realize that the, the beginning and the end of this process of understanding our conditioned nature and becoming free from the Pudanjali mentality is to chant the tender rounds and to chant as much as we can 16 rounds in one go. Mm-hmm. Mahatma Bhu has this saying in his workshops. I'm not sure if you've ever seen Mahatma Bhu's workshops, but they're quite amazing. And in one of his workshops, an old one, maybe 20 years ago, he says that he has all these little sayings. He's got affirmations. He calls them, um, he's got 20 affirmations to, to help improve your japa. And um, we, we learned, we, we've been reading those affirmations for some time at home. And sometimes myself and my wife, we have a joke with each other. Not a joke, it's a serious thing. But when, when someone tries to interrupt, if I try to interrupt her or she tries to interrupt me or the phone rings or something happens, you say, when I chant, I chant. <laughs> That's one of his affirmations. When I chant, I chant. 
So it don't bother me. You know, don't, don't get bothered by anything. Nothing. No notifications. No, turn off the notifications. Throw the phone out. Window. Just chant. When you can, you chant. You know? And then he did some skits with people chanting in front of the television and people chanting while they're talking to each other and people chanting, engaging in different activities. Because those things are things that we do. You see sometimes people walking along the street and they've got their hand in the bag and they've got a phone. <laughs> they're talking to someone, they're having something. And sometimes you see people with a clicker. This is a classic. You see people with a clicker and they're chanting Hare Krishna, they're talking to you and they're clicking. <laughs> How do I do that? Clicking through their rounds. But they're fully in the conversation, right? They started the conversation. And they're clicking away. I did a whole I did a round and a half. I did a round and a half in that conversation. So um, Japa is really important, yeah. And that will sharpen the intelligence. We do that uh, chanting to re-establish our relationship with Krishna. We want to chant. I get to chant. I love to chant. That's one of his affirmations. Should have a Mahatma Guru workshop. I want to chant. I get to chant. I love to chant. It's nice. We made a little um, video of it. I can share it with you. It's nice. Yes. Pranko, uh, thank you very much for a nice class. Uh, why do you vaccine and dream whenever service with Krishna? Sometimes very close to Krishna, sometimes you get very far off. The yeah, why, why, is, why do we experience this waxing and waning of our connectedness with Krishna? Sometimes we're close and sometimes we feel a long way away. Ever had that experience? I felt really close, fired up, and by the afternoon, <laughs> who? Krishna? Who's that? <laughs> well, um, one of the reasons is because of our um, conditioning. The main reason, of course, is conditioning. Moves into nature. Because they're always, they're always um, fighting for supremacy. Goodness, goodness, passion, ignorance. And therefore, it says, from sattva we get knowledge. Sattva jnana vijayate. From goodness we get knowledge. And knowledge means, in this context, knowledge means that we understand our constitutional position, who we are, a Krishna, full knowledge. So we, in order to avoid the pitfalls of, of chapala sukha, of bodhya, of going this side and that side, and to become more steady in our bhakti, more steady in our practices, we have to cultivate sattva guna, that will really help us. To, to become less inclined to that um, bhogatya, from shifting between being a Puranjana to being a, a Pranabhakti. You know? So it will help us to, to put things more in, in perspective from the mode of goodness. So cleaning up our act, cleaning up where we live, cleaning up where we work, cleaning up our thoughts. I give you a really good tip to clean up your thoughts and to stop criticizing devotees. Because criticizing devotees is one thing that really puts uh, the brakes on and really pushes us toward the, the Pranjana mentality. Blaspheming devotees. It's one of the ten offenses, right? But to think badly or to criticize or to bring them up. And Vaishishet, he made his point that. Um, if you take a vow, if you value this so much, you, you value that you won't talk about anybody if they're not here. That will help you a lot. If you say, I'm not going to talk about somebody unless they're here with me in the room, then generally speaking, when we're talking about somebody, we're not generally glorifying them, unfortunately. We're usually saying, yeah, that guy is hopeless. He gives Terrible class, he's hopeless in cute time, he's never played on time, he's a useless guy, he can't cook, whatever. We say so many things about them. Sometimes we say nice things. But generally, when something comes up, hey, did you see what such and such was wearing this morning at the temple? Can you believe it? They came to the temple like that? So avoid that. 
And we've been practicing that lately. It's quite useful. A useful tip. What about the undertows? The undertows? Yes. They keep us away from undertows. Yeah, and not this. The unwanted things will be removed when we need the mode of goodness. The mode of goodness will help us to remove them because we can identify them. In the mode of passion and ignorance, we can't identify an anatta. We think the anatta is anatta. And we think that's good for us. We want that thing. But when we get in the mode of goodness, we can start to discriminate properly. Once we can taste. Taste what can be. And the taste will come automatically when we cultivate suffering. Yes. Not, not talk about the devotees who are watching the room. But we can always praise other devotees who are watching the room. Yeah, we can. We can praise them. We can praise other devotees. It's a good thing to do. But if we're not praising, we shouldn't talk about them. Grantaraj Shima Bhagavatam Kijay Shiva Prabhupada Jai Gopi